Esther chapter 2, verse 1 starts like this. We're just going to read a few verses of Scripture, and then you can be seated, and I'll read the rest. But it says, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hagi the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women. Let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleases the queen pleaseth the king, excuse me, be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Amen. The thing pleased the king, and he did so. If you'll join with me in prayer one more time this morning, just ask God to bless this message right now with me. Jesus, in your mighty name, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, I pray that you would anoint the ear of the listener today, God. Your word's already anointed, God, but anoint this vessel of clay, God, to speak your heart today, Jesus, unto your people, God, in our midst, in your mighty name, Lord, that you would commission us and challenge us, God, and speak to us, God, that we might be used by you in a mighty way in this last hour, I pray. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Talking about a great kingdom of the Persians and the Medes. Persia was a great kingdom. The, the Bible and historians say they talk about King Ahasuerus here listed in our word. They called him in historical times Arctaxerxes is who he was believed to be. And the Bible says that he had a great dominion. His, his kingdom, it, it spanned from the country of India all the way across to Ethiopia. And there were over 127 provinces that this king ruled over. So this was no small city or no small town of Aurora, you know, that someone was leading. But this was a great and vast domain. This was the domain that appeared in Daniel's vision when he saw the, the great statue rise up before him in a dream. And he saw the head of gold, which was Babylon, the great kingdom. This was the kingdom that usurped Babylon, that took that authority, that came in, overtook it, and took over and became the reigning king. So this was no small king that Vashti would disobey. And if you go back and you look at chapter 1 in our study here today of Esther, it talks about Queen Vashti and the kind of person that she was. First off, the Bible says that she was a beautiful woman. The very meaning of her name is, is beautiful woman. And so she, uh, with all of her great beauty and, and all of the great uh, accomplishments that her, her husband had, had accomplished, this woman was in a high position and high status. And the Bible says that the king, he threw this great big celebration. He said, I want to celebrate our accomplishments. Hallelujah. Can everybody hear me this morning? Amen. All right. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm cutting in and out up here, so I just want to make sure. If you can hear me, then we're fine. If I can't hear me, no big deal. Amen. 
Amen. I, I, I know what I sound like already. But, but this, this king, Ahasuerus, he threw this great big bash, this, this great big party, if you will, and he invited all of his uh, uh, underlings and, and all of those who ruled underneath him. And he said, let's have a big party, and we're going to celebrate my accomplishments. And I want my wife, Vashti, to come in, and, and you guys can see her beauty, and, and you guys can just, just celebrate all that we are. And Vashti told the king, she said, no, I, I don't want to go to your party. In fact, the Bible says in chapter 1 that she threw her own party. She said, you do your thing. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And obviously that displeased the king greatly. He was very upset and, and, and he didn't want to have anything to do with that. And so he, he, uh, he basically divorced his wife shortly thereafter. He just said, you're over and you're done. And I'll take, a little, I'll take a little break here to say, I don't know why more spouses don't encourage their spouse to be in church and to live for God. Amen. Because when you live for God, there are some certain principles and some certain values, amen, that come along as a benefit with living for God. Is someone with me today? Amen. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to, to be a part of the kingdom of God aside from eternal life. Aside from, from salvation, just the benefits of us getting along one with another. I know in our household, um, Bree and I always say to each other, if it wasn't for God, where would our marriage be? If it wasn't for God in the middle of our marriage, because Bree and I, are, we're like night and day. We, they say opposites attract. That's no lie. Because we're like the positive, and uh, she's the positive, I'm the negative. We'll, we'll go with that. But in our house, you know, Scripture is, scripture is heard. Bria, she quotes the Bible to me a lot. She'll come up to me and she'll say, you have to love me as Christ loved the church. And, and he gave himself for it. And she'll come up to me and say, you, you have to forgive 70 times 7. You have to forgive me. All right? So, so there's Scripture going on in the Bible. I don't know if I should be happy or if I should be mad that she uh, knows the Bible so well. But I can argue with Bria, but I can't argue with the Word of God. Amen. There's something about a family and a household living for God, amen, that makes things a whole lot better, a whole lot easier. There's a lot of principles that say, I've got to prefer the other above myself. Amen. I do have to love my wife as God loved the church. I do have to lay down and sacrifice my own wants for the wants and the needs of those in my family. Amen. Somebody believe that today? Amen. Praise God. But this king, this great king, he didn't see things that way. He said, you made me mad. You, uh, you got me angry, and so you're done. You're cut off. You're over with. And so the Bible talks about this, this young woman that comes on the scene that I believe that God had orchestrated her life, that God had designated her life to step in to a role that might have even been bigger than herself, to step into a place, to take the place of, of one's disobedience would become in her obedience, her promotion, and her elevation. And so the Bible says that, that there was uh, in Shushan the palace a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem 
with the captivity which had been carried away with Jokaniah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, we talked about Babylon just a couple of minutes ago. He started all this, this whole thing. Babylon, uh, Babylon started this whole mess of the captivities of the Jews. And he said that they were carried away. And verse 7 says, And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and her mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So we find a lady here, a young woman that has literally been adopted by her cousin to, to raise her. Esther didn't have a smooth road. Esther didn't have an easy street, if you will, to the throne. But Esther, Esther had, had tragedy in her past. She was an orphan girl. She had, uh, she had to overcome the loss of her parents at a young life, at a young age. So she had a history of heartache and a history of trouble in her life when God had called her out and raised her up to serve a purpose for him. What does that tell me today? That tells me that no matter what our past looks like, amen, no matter where we come from, no matter what our history may be, no matter the struggles and the things that we've had to overcome, come what may, whatever the case might be, God is still able, hallelujah, to use us for his glory and for his honor. It doesn't matter what it looks like, Esther. Hallelujah. If you have an obedient heart, if you have a willing heart, God wants to use you today. God wants to speak into your life today. Hallelujah. God wants to raise you up and to promote you where others may have fallen by the wayside. God wants to make you his vessel of honor and glory. And so Esther finds herself being raised by her cousin. How many would want to be raised by their cousin? If you've met some of my cousins, amen, you would not want to be raised by them. Karen shared a story with our V group a while back about her infamous cousin, and you'll have to talk to her later about that. But she, she told us a story about, and, and all of us, we have a cousin that we probably don't even want to have Thanksgiving with, much less be raised by. Amen. And so Esther, this was the only family she had. She had no choice. The Bible doesn't mention any other family in her life. I don't know how her parents died. I know that Babylon invaded Jerusalem and Israel. And I know that he took, I, I wonder if they died in battle. I don't know. So Esther not only is, is living with her cousin and being raised by her cousin, but she's not, only, she's not even in her homeland. She's in a strange country with strange laws and, and strange customs and, and, and strange, um, just strangeness all around her. And so she's living here and God's saying, you know what? I want you to be at the top of this place. I don't want you to just live here, but I want you to rule here. Can you imagine how, how mind-boggling and, and mind-blowing that would be? And here we, here we find Esther in this place. And so the Bible uh, goes on to say in verse 8, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also into the king's house to this custody, to the keeper of the women, and the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her things for purification, 
with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. Mordecai said, don't say where you come from. Inside joke right here, but don't say that you're 1% Jew. I did a, I did a, a genealogy, you know, one of those 23 and me and found out that I was 1% Jew. So, so, so Esther and I might be 1% related somewhere. I don't know. But um, Mordecai said, don't tell it. Don't tell of your story. Don't tell of your history. Don't tell of your background. Keep it a secret. And so in her obedience to her cousin, she, just, she did just that. She kept it a secret. Now, the, the very name, the Bible says that, that her name in the Hebrew was Hadassah. And that means the star uh, or a fragrant myrtle flower. And I, I had to look this up myself because I've never seen a myrtle flower. Has anybody ever seen a myrtle flower? Yeah, me either. So I looked it up, and I did a Google images, and, and there it was. And this, this, she was so named because the flower, its petals branch out in the shape of a star. And so not only was the flower fragrant, like Esther's life, but it was a star, like she would soon become. And, and, and Vashti, in complete, and, and I believe in contrast to Esther, and I don't know if the Jews did this, on purpose, but they didn't have a, a, a meaning for the name of Vashti. That word wasn't uh, transliterated or, or translated directly into the Hebrew language, so they had to come up with a, a similar comparison. And so even though Vashti means beautiful woman, one of the meanings which they, they believed to be for Vashti was a thorny bush. So if you could see these two women here in direct contrast and direct juxtaposition to one another, if you will. That's a big word I can't, I can't spit out. Juxtaposition. Contrast to one another. Vashti was this beautiful woman, had all these talents, these abilities. She was this queen. Esther on the other side, being this beautiful woman, yet one was thorny like a bush, if you will, and the other one was fragrant like a myrtle flower. And so you see this, this, this comparison, and, and we, as we move on in this story in Esther chapter 2 to verse 12, it goes on to say that now when every maid's turn was to go into the king Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months, can you believe this, 12 months getting ready to see the king? 12 months long of, of purification, the Bible says, according to the manner of women, for so were the days of their purifications accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women. That's a long time. Bria, I'm going to say I'm never going to complain about you getting dressed and taking a while any longer. After reading this verse, amen. I, I, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but there's times when we fight for the mirror and and she's in front of the mirror, and so I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out, and I'm going to go do something else, and I find something to do. Maybe I go throw out the trash. You know, maybe I go mow the lawn. Maybe I organize some of the garage, whatever the, the base, whatever the case, and, and, and time passes by, and I think to myself, all right, I can head back to the bathroom because it's going to be free and clear. So I make my way back, and I'm, I'm like, surely 
surely it's, it's clear by now. Surely she's done by now. And I get into the room, and she's in the same position with the same hair, curling the same lock of hair. And I'm thinking, that hair's not going to get any curlier than it already is. And, and no, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there's, there's a length of time that transpired in this woman's purification of her life. And in fair and, and equal opportunity humor, Bria, I'll tell you, the guys in her household also take a long time at certain things. We're also very slow. She can test. Lincoln takes like two hours to eat a meal. He will take a bite and then go play. And if you move that plate within that two hours prematurely, you're going to be in big time trouble. I'm also a slow eater. I can take a long time to eat. Two of Bria's favorite meals that I eat are pizza and cereal because I'm a, a smacker. Does anybody know a, a smacker eater is? You guys have any smackers in your life? Amen. Well, when you smack and you eat for a long time, it's, it's, it's double the, the pleasure, double the fun, right? And so she's, she looks over at me and she's like, are you still eating that pizza? Because I'm like, I just, I get lost in my meal. I'm like, smacking along, enjoying myself. I'm enjoying every morsel of it. I'm, I don't have a care in the world. I forget about everybody else in the room. And she's there patiently waiting for me to finish that big piece of pep, Tony's pepperoni pizza. And, and I'm just having a good old time because I am a lip smacker. I, I have to admit it, so I'm making my, fun of myself today as well. I had friends who used to turn up the music in the car when I was chewing my gum just to drown me out because I was driving and chewing and, and just, but that's, that's, um, that's not a pain that you have to go through. So be thankful for that. That's just me. And so it took a long time. But when Esther, uh, the Bible says in verse 15, when Esther, it became her turn. When the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken for his daughter, was come into the king, the Bible says she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of women, had appointed. It says she was a natural beauty. She didn't require any help. She didn't need these, like, super long eyelashes that catch, like, dust and, and birds as they go by. She didn't need any extra extensions, you know, coming off her hair. She didn't need any additions, no, no additional add-ins to her life. The Bible says she was beautiful just as she was. And verse, uh, um, and it goes on to say that Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther, I believe that God gave her favor. Amen. I believe that God gave her favor with those around her. I really do. I believe that when she walked into a room, she probably lit up the room. Amen. She had to have a, a, a certain magnetism to accomplish the work that God was preparing for her to accomplish. And so she was taken to the king Ahasuerus into the house royal in the 10th month, which is the month Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so, he, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. I could have titled this message today, 
there's something about Esther because there was something about her that drew the king to her. There was something about her spirit, I believe, and there was something about her attitude, I believe. As a matter of fact, verse 20 goes on to talk about Esther, and it says, Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. Think about that today. We can't get too big to be, be obedient in our lives. Amen. Esther, the queen of, of this great, vast empire, was still obedient to the commandment of her cousin. Amen. Imagine that with me today. In all of her, her power and all of her glory, still being humble enough to be obedient, to be subservient, to, to obey the word of her cousin, to be cooperative, to coordinate and, and to listen and, and, and to obey, even though she could have said, hey, I'm queen. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Hey, I'm, I've been put in place. I'm in charge now. You're just the one that sits in the gate. I'm the one that sits on the throne. She could have been puffed up in, in all of these different ways. She could have been almost as Vashti was to say, hey, I don't have to listen to you, king. I don't have to obey your decree and come to your banquet. I don't have to do anything you ask. But instead, she was humble, and she kept the commandment, and she kept with the law and the word that Mordecai had commanded unto her. I could have titled this message further, A Tale of Two Queens, One Who Was Obedient one who was disobedient, amen, one who was lifted up, one who was demoted, one who was elevated, and one who was taken out of the way. I wrote here in my notes, I said, talent and abilities may elevate us to the position that God has for us, but with God, it's only character and integrity that will keep us in that place. Hallelujah. Ability and talent may go so far, but character and values and honor and humility and obedience will carry us all the way through to the end. I believe it because God had a great plan. God was orchestrating their lives. God was going to do something great in, in, in Mordecai and Esther. Uh, moving on to Esther chapter 3 verse 5 as we step through this story the Bible talks about another man and introduces another character by the Haman, by the name of Haman. And it says, when he saw that Mordecai would not bow, would not bow to another but God, would not bow to the heathen, this, this, this Amalekite as he's described, uh, he would not bow down or do him reverence. Then Haman was full of wrath. Mordecai said, I've got to take a stand. I've got to stand alone. Amen. Even if it means, uh, even if it means wrath and anger from someone like Haman. And, and verse 6 says, He thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, the Jews. And Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. And so that brings us to this point, this critical juncture in our story today, this, this whole scenario, this scene that is playing out, if you will, and, and we could call the first scene, scene one, and we could have an intermission, if you will. Don't go get like popcorn and Coke on me right now or, or Dr. Pepper, 
but, but just, just hang in here because we're stepping into scene two and the next stage of, of the characters who are, are engaging here. And the Bible says in, in Esther chapter four, verse eight, and thank you, Bobby, for, for keeping up with me. Isn't she good at the job she does? You are the best AV person at the job you do. And so in Esther 4.8, it says, Also, this is Mordecai now in his distress. Haman's angry at him. The decree of the king is coming down on them. And so, so Mordecai does the only thing that he could do, and that's he turns to his cousin Esther. And it says that he gave her servant the copy of the writing of the decree given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go to the king, make supplication to him, and make a request before him for her people. And her servant Hatach came, and he told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. And she said, listen, I want you to return a message to my cousin. Sounds like they're having a good time in there, right? <laughs> Amen. That's awesome. Maybe by the end of this service, we'll, we'll, we can be loud and, 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 and let them hear us be loud too. I don't know. But he gave this commandment to Mordecai from Esther, and Esther told her cousin, she said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, be it man or woman, that comes into the king in the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of this to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. She said, but I haven't been called to come to the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai answered back to Esther. This is like a back and forth chat message, you know, Facebook message. Um, she sent him a message. He sends one back. They're kind of having a back and forth back and forth, one with another. And so it's Mordecai's turn to, to come back at Esther and answer her. And he says, don't think yourself that you shall escape in the king's house. He said, don't think for a minute, being in the palace, that you'll be untouched from the wrath of this decree. Don't think for a minute that whatever position that you are in, that God has placed you in, don't think for a minute, amen, that you are also not susceptible in disobedience or in disobeying the plan of God for your life. That's pretty heavy if we think about it. He says, you won't escape in the king's house more than all these Jews. He said, for if you hold your peace at this time, then shall there be enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows if God hasn't placed you in this exact moment in time to serve his purpose. Amen. Who knows if God hasn't put you right here, right now, to do his will and to fulfill his plan, Esther. And the Bible goes on to, to say that Esther said in verse 15, she said, return to Mordecai this answer. This is her last response. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. She said, and fast for me and don't eat nor drink day, three days, night or day. I and also my maidens will fast likewise and I will go to the king 
which not according to the law. She said, and if I die, I die. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. I love this relationship here that they had between them. They had a relationship of trust. The Bible says that Mordecai obeyed Esther's command just as much as she obeyed his command. The Bible says that they had such a relationship and, and such an honesty and directness that, that even though Esther, in her fear of what would befall her, said, I will be obedient. I know a lot of times when Bree and I, have, we've been married 12 years, we've been married a long time, and, and um, even in our own relationship, if she speaks up and says, hey, I don't think you should do this, or hey, maybe you should do that. I honor her word and I listen to her. Even in my own spirit, I might say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, to me, why would I have to do that? Why would I want to do that? And in, in my own mind, I'm thinking, I've got a lot of reasons. Esther had some valid reasons for why she didn't want to go in under the king. We might have valid arguments, but when God puts us in the body of Christ together, I believe that he develops, starts to develop some bonds between us. I believe that he begins to develop some trust between us. Amen. Some honor between us that allows us to say, hey, you know, if you think this is right, I'm going to go with it because God is leading you, because God is directing you. I believe that in, in this hour, as the kingdom of God, as the body of Christ, as the church, we should begin to work together. Amen. We should begin to coordinate and work together the plan of God because Esther would have made it without Mordecai and Mordecai wouldn't have survived without Esther. It took both of them being on the same team, working together. It took both of them, amen, fulfilling the plan of God for him to do a great work. It was just probably a week, a week and a half ago after one of the great services we had with pastor and just the great move of God that we had in the altar in that week, I dreamed and I had a dream. And I don't know if it was a pizza dream with pepperonis on it. I don't know if it was a spiritual dream. Uh, you know, I want to chalk it up as a spiritual dream, but I dreamed in my dream that our church vertical, that it was filled from wall to wall. Amen. From front to back. And I'm not just saying, hear me now. I'm not just talking about the chairs, but I'm talking about the people. In my dream, I was shouldered, like it was so tight in the room, like a, the old, like the saying, I don't know what a can of sardines looks like, but apparently it looks pretty packed in. And, and in my dream, we were, we were just kind of all mashed together like a can of sardines, if you will, shoulder to shoulder. Does anybody know what a can of sardines look like? Be honest. You all do. Okay. I was deprived, apparently. We had Vienna sausages. I don't know. Are those similar? Those are pretty good, too, right? Okay. Sardines just doesn't sound that appetizing to me. But in my dream, we were, we were jam-packed in. I'm telling you, we were crowded in. Like, you could hardly turn. That's how many people were in there. And in the middle of that service and in that church house, more people were coming into the doorway. More people were coming into the door trying to find a place to sit. 
Amen. I believe as a church and the body of Christ, if we can get on the same page, amen. Nobody asked me to preach this. I believe this is a word from God. Pastor didn't say, why don't you talk about this today? We didn't have that conversation. God is my witness. But I believe if we get on the same page as a church, amen, if we put aside our differences, if we put aside the, the he said and the she said, if we put aside the past and the mistakes and the offenses, and we begin to work together shoulder to shoulder, hallelujah, as the churches of the kingdom of God in this district and all over this country and all over this world, that God could bring more revival than we could ever imagine. Amen. That there would be a, 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 an Esther-like magnetism that would begin to draw others in and draw others toward us, that we might be a testimony and a witness. Hallelujah. If you believe that, put your hands together right now. Oh, mighty God. Oh, hallelujah. Let it be so in our lives, Jesus. Esther wasn't worried about her past in that moment. She didn't let it, let it consume her or take over her life. In that moment, Esther wasn't overwhelmed and frozen in fear because of the doom and the gloom of her future. In that moment, all Esther knew was, I have a job to do. Esther wasn't worried about the comforts of her life or whether she would live or die. But she said, I've got to enter into the king's chambers. I've got to come into the king's presence. I've got to make a petition and appeal for him today. Hallelujah. God is not worried about your past today. He's not worried about your future. He holds tomorrow in his hand. He's wanting to know what are you going to do with the precious moment that you have today right now what are you going to do with the gift that god has given you today we are not promised tomorrow but today is a gift oh hallelujah i believe that god is asking us to get out of our heads our heads of, of, of who said what. Get out of our own heads of, of what happened back then. Get out of our own heads or, of what's going to happen tomorrow. What bill is going to fall down? What, what health report is going to come my way? Amen. What offense is going to happen? And to step into the moment with boldness. Hallelujah. Step into the moment today with confidence and with courage. Yes, it might not be the ideal surrounding in your life. Yes, it might be the exact uh, bed of roses and road of velvet that you'll traverse to get there. Yes, you might feel a little out of place like Esther. I don't belong here. What am I doing here? And God is saying, take courage and step out. Oh, hallelujah. Take courage and step out. I'm going to be the one that holds you up. I'm going to be the one that works in your life. When David faced the giant, he didn't rely on his past successes. He didn't say, I can face the giant because I took care of a bear back there. He didn't say, I can face you, Goliath, because I, I took out a lion. He didn't say it was because of my victories. I'm a survivor. I've made it this far. 
Amen. The only reason you and I are here today, because the hand of God has brought us through. Hallelujah. The only reason we're still standing is because God said, I'm going to carry you through that trial, and I can carry you into tomorrow as well. That's the only reason you're here today. Make no mistake that God's hand is in your life, that he has brought you to this point. Amen. Not to fail, not to falter, but that you might receive the victory in your life. When David faced Goliath, he said, you might come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you believe that today? I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord, giant. Get out of my way. Hallelujah. You will not prevail in my life because he has made me an overcomer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. When Jesus rose from the dead, and the disciples went to visit his tomb there and to, and to find him. All that was there was an angel and empty bedclothes, empty grave clothes. And when the disciples came to that place looking for Jesus, the angel said, he's not here, he's risen. The angel said, go tell the others. But look what he also said. He said, and tell Peter. Amen. Think about this with me right now. The same Peter that betrayed him. The same Peter that fell so hard in the most critical moment of their time. The same Peter that cursed and denied him. The same Peter who no doubt was somewhere living in guilt and shame. No doubt cowering and hiding and, and disgust with himself and saying, I'm no good. I'm worth nothing. And I've heard it said of this scripture that, that maybe it was said, go tell Peter because to, so he could feel better about himself, to kind of coddle him. But if, if I know the relationship between Jesus and Peter, Jesus did not mince words with Peter. In one moment, he said, Peter, you're Satan. Get out of my way. One moment he rebuked Peter. Other times he, 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 told, he instructed Peter. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. So I believe that when Jesus, when the angel was speaking of Jesus saying, go tell Peter, he was saying, Peter, get to work. Peter, get up from where you are and get back to work. There's no time right now for you to be hiding in shame. There's no time for you right now to be groveling in misery and throwing yourself a pity party because of what you've lost, because of what you've done, because of what you might face tomorrow. I have a work for you to do today. There's thousands of souls that need to hear the gospel message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter, I've got a message for you to preach. Get out of your headspace right now, Peter, and do the work in the present. Do the work in the moment that I have called you to do. And as I draw to a close this morning, there's a, a familiar sport that we're all aware of that's a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billion with a B. And there's an individual in that sport 
that is, is worth tens of millions and even hundreds of millions. That's called the quarterback. And the quarterback has one job given to him from the coach. And that job is to be a forgetter. A forgetter of his mistakes when he throws that interception to the other team. When he fumbles that ball and gets hit. When that big old lineman comes and tackles him and bruises his knee or, or bruises his shoulder, that coach, when that quarterback comes to the sideline, says, I need you to forget about it right now. I need you to erase it out of your mind right now because I need you to go back. The quarterback only has 40 seconds to wipe his mind of that mistake and to be able to commence and, 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 and get moving the ball down the field. 40 seconds on the play clock as it ticks down. He's got to forget about that mistake. He can't worry about if he's going to make the same mistake on the next play. Just 40 seconds in time, a, a critical position. How much more critical is our role in the kingdom of God? Amen. That's why the Bible says there is a sea of forgetfulness because some things aren't worth remembering. Some things aren't worth holding on to. If you've got a grudge today or an offense today, amen, bury it under the blood. Bury it in that sea. Just drop it in there and forget about it because there's so much more that God has for you and I in our lives to do today. If we could stand together in this room. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I believe in this message. God is calling us to action, to action, to obedience. When the altar call comes, when pastor says worship, and I'm jumping and I'm shouting. I'm not, I'm not doing that for my health. I'm not doing that just because out of obedience, I believe things change in the supernatural. Out of obedience, I believe that things happen. Call me old-fashioned or old-timey, but I believe when we're obedient, when the call comes forward, that God moves in that moment. And in that instant, God begins to shake things in the spiritual realm. He begins to shake things in the supernatural. He begins to honor, hallelujah, the honorable, the humble, and say, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. Hallelujah. The question today is, who is the next Mordecai? Who will be the next Esther that steps forward and says, God, whether it costs me everything, I will walk through that door that you've opened before me. Whether it costs me all, God, I will walk, Jesus, with confidence into that place that you appointed me to. Oh, hallelujah. Let's be prayerful right now, church. Let's be prayerful right now. Jesus, in your mighty name, Lord. My wife has a friend who lost her life this past week. Her name was Monica Galvin, and she was a, a, a beautiful young lady, not just on the outside, but on the inside in her spirit. I had the privilege to meet her a couple of times at different weddings and different occasions, and Monica was a worshiper. Just in her early 30s, Monica was overcome by cancer and passed away just a few days ago. But until the end 
of her life to her very last day, Monica was a worshiper of God. To the very last moment, Monica was a speaker of faith. Bria told me that when they came into the room, she said, I believe that God's a healer. Hallelujah. Even in her condition. Amen. How much more can you and I believe God for great things? Amen. In our present circumstances, in our present conditions. Hallelujah. I believe that God used Monica even in the last months of her life. She was a worshiper. She was a praiser. I don't care what stands against you today. We have no excuse not to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I open this altar to this church right now to step out? Amen. Embrace the moment today.